Welcome back to the Female Founder World Podcast. It's Jasmine. I'm the host of the show and I'm also the gal behind all of our Female Founder World events and workshops and programming and Instagram stories. And I'm literally producing all of this content all the time. I hope you guys are enjoying it. I've got Kayla Castaneda on the show today. She's the founder of a business called Agua Bonita. They make better for you agua frescas and she's been around for a couple of years. What I think is most interesting about Kayla and there is a lot that we get into in this episode it's that she has never lost a pitch competition and she's raised almost half a million dollars for her business this way. We obviously get into her approach and what she's doing that works so well, how you guys can replicate it because I know you're going to want to. But before we get into the interview, I have a very quick message from the sponsor of our show, Gorgeous. I am Alexandria Collis, Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly. I'm focused on our strategy and innovation in the CX department here at Princess Polly. The Princess Polly online store was born in a true startup style in 2010 in Australia, and we launched our US-based operation in Los Angeles in 2019. And now we are one of the fastest growing online women's fashion brands in the US and Australia. Our first value is customer centricity, so every single department is paying attention to the customer experience. We aim to deliver every single time and being customer focused is really daring to be different. We first and foremost listen to our customers and always remember that customer perception is reality. Our demographic is Gen Z and this is the I expect a response now. I call them the now customer. Our CX teams engage across every single channel. It is very important that we meet our customers where they are and Gorgeous allows us the opportunity to be efficient with all of these channels located in one place. We show up to work each and every day with one goal in mind, and that is to provide the best customer experience for our customers all over the globe. I have a quote, and I always tell our CX leaders that customer experience is the heart of an organization, and we pump the blood and deliver the oxygen to the vital organs in the business to help them thrive and grow stronger. So AI and tech have played a large piece in a lot of the decisions that we've made at Princess Polly over the last year and going forward that we will make when it comes to utilizing systems to their fullest optimization. I will share that late last year, for example, we migrated ticketing platforms from, from the very popular Zendesk to Gorgeous because it is the experience that we're focused on, the agent experience and the customer experience. If you're interested in learning more about Gorgeous, you can go to gorgeous.com and start a free trial today. You are now entering Female Founder World with your host, Jasmine Grindsworthy. Kayla, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. So we know your background. You worked at Coca-Cola in market development, then you're at a beverage startup and that's where you met your co-founder. And I read that you started your business after losing your jobs during the pandemic. Could you just dive into where you were at that point and how this idea for a beverage company came about? Yeah. So we joke that when life gives you lemons, make aguas frescas, because that's kind of what <laughs> happened to us. But really, I think after working on the corporate side with Coca-Cola and then working on the startup side, consulting for startups, I realized that a lot of startup operators did not have it all together behind the scenes, no matter how good it looked from the outside looking in. And that corporations move super slow. So the pipeline for innovation was never going to be that quick. So when the pandemic kind of took away my consulting jobs, I 
took it as an opportunity of like, I don't have anything to lose. I've already lost everything. The only thing that I have to lose is the opportunity of not pursuing something that I want to do. I wanted to create something that was reflective of myself, my family, and my culture and see that on shelves and do it in a little bit of a, you know, untraditional way. So that's how I will need this started. Very cool. And someone went to your website now, they wanted to order something, what would they find? You would find four great flavors of real fruit aguas frescas. Aguas frescas are a traditional Mexican drink made with non-sparkling water. So we're non-sparkling, fresh fruit, and traditionally a sweetener. Most of our skews don't have any added sugar, although the spicy skews will have a touch of agave because it's just spicy. You got something, you need something to balance it out. So. I have to ask, your branding is so beautiful. Who did that for you? That's my co-founder, Erin. Wow. Yeah, so all of our design is actually all in-house. So there's a little bit of a creative process, bouncing some ideas. We actually have a really great new head of content. Two of the newest cans joining our lineup soon are actually some of his handiwork. So we like to keep things close to our chest when it comes to our brand out there. Yeah, you can definitely tell that it's just not something that comes from one of those agencies that are doing all of the consumer brands and they all kind of look the same. It's definitely super distinctive. I feel like you guys would really stand out on shelf. Let's go back to the early days. When you launched, what were some of the early signs that made you think, okay, this is an idea that I think is going to work? And did you have any benchmark or parameters where you thought, if we don't hit this milestone in this time frame, we're going to give up and go do something else? Like what, what was that like for you? Yeah, I would say it was a mix of both like intuition and data. I knew really from day one that Aguas Frescas were the thing to do. And maybe it was just from having a trained eye, getting to like deduce to that decision very quickly. But I just knew Aguas Frescas would fit the bill in so many different ways from what consumer data was saying that consumers were demanding and then what we could do in a cultural relevancy type of way. But then we did give ourselves a hard stop at a certain date because, you know, we were pouring in a lot of our personal money and it still was a pandemic and we have little ones at home. So we had to be realistic with like, okay, if by a certain date we have not achieved a certain amount of units sold or fundraising that we're going to have to not work on this full time because we started full time right from the beginning only because really our, our hand was forced into it, right? We didn't have other jobs because it was the pandemic. So we did put a hard stop. We gave ourselves a good lead time, I would say, on it. I It was about a, a year um, mm-hmm. that we knew that, okay, like we're going to do this to the best of our abilities for this whole year. But, you know, things take time and even a year is a very short amount of time. So when you first got your product to market, what were some of the things that you did early on to really get the brand out there? What really worked in terms of marketing and getting those first customers? The reason why our design is the way it is, is because we wanted to create something that was very Instagrammable, something that was beautiful and that people would want to share. So I think that there is a lot of intentionality behind that in using just the way our cans look as free marketing and people wanting to share and make user generated content because we pushed a lot of our sales, all of our sales through our social media. We didn't spend on any marketing. We gave away a lot of samples. So we 
were bootstrapped, so we needed money. So I pitched in a lot of pitch competitions, and we used those opportunities to connect with the audience members that were watching me pitch um, to get them samples because we couldn't sample in stores anymore because the pandemic took away sampling. You still yeah, you still can't sample in a lot of stores, huh. and we couldn't even get we couldn't even get meetings with retailers anyway, because they were so concerned with keeping the shelves stocked with essentials that they're like, you're a new beverage brand. Like I, I do not need to talk to you right now. Um, (laughs) so everything, you know, is direct to consumer for a while. So we just were creative in the ways that we got samples to people. Yeah. Smart. Are there any other ways that you would suggest? I think the the point about not being able to sample in retailers is a really good one because so many of the founders that we speak to who launched pre-2020, like that was a huge part of their strategy was just let's get as many people as possible to try this. Was there anything else that you did? We did a lot of giveaways with other brands. So mm-hmm. finding brands that were similar or larger and following, but really aligned with us, you know, and, and using that. And then, yeah, just relying on larger platforms, you know, talking on podcasts, things like that, telling people what we were building and seeing if they were interested. And if they were just letting them know, like, Hey, actually we will give you a sample. Just let us know. (laughs) Smart. Very smart. Do you guys have won a lot of awards? I know that you won just recently something with the Tory Burch foundation. You've won a target accelerators pitch competition. And that came with like a little bit of money as well. And you've also raised and, and I'm so curious about a, how did you perfect your pitch? I think a lot of people are really afraid about how they sell themselves and they feel very nervous about approaching that. And is that something that was inherently, you know, you were just confident or is that something that you can recommend resources to become better? I have had the good fortune to win every pitch competition that I've entered. Stop it. Yeah. And I've won about over half a million dollars in. That's amazing. Yeah. So I would say I do have an approach to pitching that works for me. Hopefully it works for other people. Um, This is how I would say you should go about it. The first things first is to really know your audience. Different audience types care about different things. So you're always going to want to tailor your pitch to what the audience cares about. So you need to know who you're talking to to begin with. Um, And then the second thing is really narrowing in on, you know, the value propositions of your story. Um, So that way you can blend your brand story also with, you know, the most important uh, points of your business. Um, So really, you know, knowing what you add as a value. Um, And then three, I would say work on your timing. Um, Practice, like practice, practice, practice. I mean, that sounds so rudimentary, but it's the worst thing to see a founder go up and pitch and run out of time before they got to that big, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, punchline or that like climax in their story or something like that, you know, and it's all because of lack of timing. So all these pitch competitions, they tell you ahead of time, how much time you have, you know, like, do not think that that's a soft target. It usually is a very hard target. And people have short attention spans. That's why they do that type of thing, you know, so I would say practice, practice, practice. When you talk about knowing your audience, can you give any examples of, okay, I was speaking at this competition and I tailored my pitch this way versus speaking to this audience, I tailored it this way, like in a really tangible sense, how have you switched things up? One of the first pitches I did was for the Black Girl Ventures pitch competition, Black Girl Ventures and Nike. 
And that audience cares a lot more about cultural relevancy, right? They care about the women of color that are doing something really cool, right? So there's certain parts of our business that I want to highlight more when I talk to them, like our give back program, how we help support minority migrant farmers and specifically women, right? That's something that that audience probably really resonates with. Versus when I did the Coca-Cola and BevNet pitch competition, these are industry professionals who know a lot about beverage in particular. So they want to hear more about the innovation side of your business and maybe like your margins and your go-to-market strategy, right? Because they know how the business works. So you want to highlight some of those things in your business about how, you know, we are the only type of product that's doing X, Y, and Z. So it's just very different approaches, especially when you only have a limited amount of time to focus on different things in your story. Okay. We need to do a workshop with you on how to pitch because you're clearly a pro. That's that's pretty impressive that you've won every competition that you've done. <laughs> I was reading on your website that your products are made from rescued fruit. And I want to understand what that means, but I think I, I think I get it. We had a Charlotte from Everyday Humans, which is a beauty brand on the show. And they use upcycled ingredients as the hero ingredients in their products. They have like upcycled rose, for example. And she was talking about how upcycling is the next frontier in sustainability and, and particularly in beauty. And, and is that what you're doing? And is, do you think it's the same in beverage as well? Yeah, it's, it's incredibly similar. So we use a lot of secondary produce. So ugly produce that is destined to not ever make it onto grocery store shelves. Either it's too big, too small what have you, but it's perfect for juicing, right? There's nothing like you don't see the outside when you juice an orange. Good point. Yeah. So for us, we call it rescued produce because we step in before it has the chance to become a byproduct versus upcycling is typically the byproduct of something else. So like we, my friend Caitlin at Pulp Pantry, they have really great chips and it's made from the pulp of uh, juiced fruits, right? So that's a byproduct of the juice fruits. We are taking the fruits before it even gets there. So that's why we call it rescued produce versus upcycled produce, but we fall under the upcycling umbrella. I live in the middle of California. We grow 60% of the nation's produce within 100 miles of my house. So we see firsthand how 30% of all of the nation's produce goes directly to landfill every single year for the sake of just not being cute enough to go to the store. That's wild. Yeah. Wow. How do you source something like that? Are there specific distributors that specialize in this kind of product or are you going direct to farmers or distributors? How does it work? Yeah. So a little bit of both. And our model has changed a little bit with that. At first we would work directly with farms because there's so many around here to get juice and work with them to get it into like a concentrate format for us to use. There was a lot of variability in that. And as we have grown, we have, you know, widened our resources and our network to partner with larger companies that can handle the processing of raw fruit into the format that we need them. So now we kind of work as a conduit for some of the farms that we work with to say, hey, you have all of these melons that are scarred and we want to use them for juice, but we need them as a concentrate. We know so-and-so. Why don't you sell mm -hmm. your melons to so-and-so? And they're like, oh, great. Another revenue stream for me. I will sell my melons to so-and-so. And then we use that juice in our products. We use as much rescued produce as possible 
when and where we can. We're not 100% rescued. There's some things like pineapples. Last year, pineapple had a shortage. So there wasn't many to rescue, you know, so it's not 100% rescued, but as much as we can, where we can. That's really interesting. Do you think that it's that this kind of rescued or upcycling is becoming a consumer trend? Are consumers asking for it? Or are you trying to more like pioneer the way because you know that it's the best kind of business practice? I think that there is growing consumer interest in it. And that once people understand what upcycled means, that mm. they are on board with it and feel good about their purchase. I think the industry still has a long way to go in understanding what that really means. And there's really great organizations like the Upcycle Food Association that is putting parameters in place to quantify that and validate that. So there's a lot of work going on that will continue to go on. And I'm excited that we get to be a part of the community in some capacity, but I think it still has a long way to go. I think for us, what we like to focus on more and have been working more at amplifying is really our give back program in that, you know, every time you buy a can of Agua Bonita, part of our purchases go towards supporting the migrant farm workers that help pick all this produce, whether or not it goes to the landfill or not, they have to pick it all. And without them, the entire food system in America just does not work. Hopefully, I mean, it is a good business practice, you know, and I hope that it gets adopted more and more at scale. But as an industry, we have a long way to go. I'm definitely seeing it more in beauty and I feel like seeing brands like you do it in food makes me think that it definitely makes sense and that we've kind of moved beyond just sustainable packaging into like what's the actual product itself and how can you make that as sustainable as possible. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about funding and fundraising. Tell me if I'm right on this. You were bootstrapped when you guys started and then you went on to become the first ever Latina-run beverage startup to raise over a million. Is that right? That is right. Yep. We raised two two and some change. Okay. Congratulations. Talk me through what that process was like for you guys. Difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I would say you never really understand the magnitude of capital needed to run a startup, especially if you have high growth goals until you are already doing it. And I used to work for Coke, right? So I knew Mm. somewhat, you know, how things worked and it still blew my mind, you know, how much money we would need. So we bootstrapped at the beginning, did a lot of pitch competitions to get more cash in, but realized that, you know, we were starting to really get some traction and that if we wanted to grow at the rate that we thought that we could, we were going to need some capital. My fundraising process started way before we were even ready as a company to accept funding. So in that first year, I reached out to a ton of like VCs and things like that. When we were really just an idea, still like very much just an idea. And of course we got like resounding no's across the board, but it was really just to plant the seed in their mind. Like, Hey, we're here, we exist. And if it's a no for you, please give me the email of someone that do you think it might be a yes for to really just expand that network. 
So that way we started connecting with angels and getting plugged into these other networks. We did an accelerator program that also opened up a network of angels so that when we went into fundraising a year later, like very much in earnest and had, you know, traction to prove out, I was able to go back to all of those VCs and say like, Hey, do you remember me from a year ago? This is what we've done in that year. And then tell all those angels, look at what we've done in a year. And that's, kicked off our, our fundraising and then, you know, just kind of went on from there. When did you close that round? We officially closed it in January, 2022. Um, but it was mostly wrapped up by the end of last year. A few people that I'm speaking with lately who are fundraising have been saying that the landscape just in the last couple of months with everything that's going on with the economy has shifted a lot and they're really having a hard time. Are you like right now, are you openly having conversations with investors, even though you've just closed around or what's your approach to your gearing up your next fundraise? Yeah. So for us, we were very intentional about the investors that we took onto our cap table. And I think that it was important to establish from the beginning, like, do you have interest in supporting us in an ongoing capacity, not just this single round? And so as the landscape has begun to shift and it has shifted drastically in a very short amount of time, we have been able to go back to our investors and lay out the plan for the next year and talk to them about ways that they can continue to support us until we get to the point of raising a new round of of fundraising in earnest. So sometimes it looks like maybe doing a bridge round with your investors, but I think it's just really important to like get the right money to begin with and Mm -hmm. establish that like we are going to call on you for support down the road and we want to go into this relationship with the intention that you continue to support us as we grow. You guys have had a lot of traction in a pretty short amount of time. I think I found you maybe first on Instagram and then I was Googling and there was so much press coverage, so many awards, so much going on. Why do you think it is like, what is it about what you're doing that is exciting to people? Why is it working? I mean, I know every founder probably says like, what we're doing is new and different, but I really actually do think that what we're doing is new and different. Um, Aguas Frescas as a category haven't really existed in the ready to drink space until now. And we were one of the, you know, the front runner in, in creating this space. I will also say like, in order to lead a category, the category has to exist. So like we, you know, other entrants have come into the space and it has going to ask about that. It's just helped validate the category even more, you know? Yeah. We have taken just a non-traditional approach to things. You mentioned earlier, like about our design, you can tell that it's not like one of those agencies that's just pumping Mm -hmm. out something that they do for every CPG company. And like, that's intentional, right? Like we wanted our cans to like look good as a collection, but stand out on their own, which I think is a little bit counterintuitive to like what most industry advice would give you. And when we go to like packaging experts, sometimes it's a mixed bag, but sometimes they're like, oh, this is just like not optimal for for CPG or something like that. But I think mm-hmm. there's just this new consumer in the space that's like, they want to see different things, you know? So I think yeah. that that's part of our success is just like going against the grain a little bit. And even like we're in cans, but we're non-carbonated. And so that's something too, that people are like, you shouldn't be in cans, you know, but for us, it's an eco-friendly choice. Um, but also we're non-carbonated because traditional aguas frescas are not carbonated. So mm-hmm. that's why we did it, you know, and yeah, it's a little bit different than the industry standard, but 
Like, so what? That's, that's what we, we want to be. We don't want to be the same as everyone else. Yeah. I love that. It's all great for people listening to learn from all the things that you've done right and all the successes that you've had as you've been building your business. But I am interested if there have been any watch outs, any mistakes or near mistakes that you've made that you think other folks can learn from. Yeah. I mean, I would say capital management. It's really difficult to put the right systems in place this early and to gauge, you know, how much you should be spending on certain things. And so just always being cognizant of your burn rate is a, is a huge thing. I think that there are some instances where like we were operating from like a scarcity mindset because we had bootstrapped, you know, and then even after we had some money in the bank, there was opportunities on certain things that we kind of DIY'd and it just didn't make sense to. So I think it's, it's a mix of figuring out when and where to spend the money and when and where not to. The last thing that I ask everyone who comes on the show is for a resource recommendation. And that could be, it could be a book. It could be a course that you've done. It could be a community that you're part of, just something that's kind of helped you as you've been growing your business and that you think other people building consumer brands should know about. One resource that I would suggest a lot of first-time founders read is this book I'm actually reading right now. It's called The Secret Life of Groceries by Benjamin Moore. It's the dark miracle of the American supermarket. Yeah, it it talks about a lot of things like strategies behind supermarkets, distribution, stuff that as a first-time founder, you might not realize how they work and how cutthroat it can be. So... Yeah, it's a good Okay, that's a great recommendation. I don't think that book's been recommended on the show before. So we'll put a link to the show notes for folks who want to check it out. Kayla, thank you so much for coming on the show and for telling us about what you're building. It is awesome to see all the success you guys are having. And I'm excited to see what you do next. Thank you so much for having me. And if anyone needs me as a resource, let me know. You guys can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, at Bonita. slide in our DMs. We're really responsive. And just follow along. Yeah, absolutely. We'll put all those links in the show notes so everyone can find you. Super easy. Thanks, Kayla. Thank you. It's Jasmine again, and I just wanted to drop back in and say thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please drop us a five-star review um, wherever you listen to your podcast. Really helps other people find the show and helps us get more great talent and uh, more founders on the program. See you at the next episode.